So we are in our summer series. We took a break from it last week because of Father's Day, uh, but we're getting back into it today. It's called Law and Order, and we're basically we're going through the book of Judges uh, out of the Old Testament. It's a book that uh, maybe some of you have never read. Some of you, some of you maybe haven't read in a while. It's an incredible book. It shows the, uh, the timeless character of God and, uh, and how he responds to his people, and it also shows the nature of man, and, um, uh, and it's prevalent for back then, and it's also prevalent today. And uh, I've been really enjoying studying it myself, and I hope you guys have been uh, getting a lot out of it as well as we go through this. I do encourage you to read through the book during this time. We're going to be going through the book of Judges through July, so uh, reading it will help you understand a little more of what we're talking about, where we're going as well. So, uh, but it does. It shows the nature of man. Uh, in fact, we have a graphic to show you that we kind of used the first week when we kicked off this series, just showing um, how man functions and how God functions with man. You know that. When the Israelites came into the promised land with Joshua, they had peace, and then Joshua died. They fell into sin, which God set them over to oppression of other nations inside of the promised land that would oppress them and and, uh, treat them horribly. They'd finally get tired of it, and they would repent. And then when they repented, God would raise up a judge, which is why the book is called Judges. And this judge would deliver the people from this oppression, and they would have peace again. And then you would see the next chapter, (laughs) they'd do the same thing again, over and over and over and uh, it's, it's a really incredible look at how man functions, because this isn't just the children of Israel. This is how we function sometimes, too. And um, God, in his mercy and grace, continually keeps drawing us back to him. And so uh, we're going to, through the month of July, we're going to actually go through some specific judges. In fact, I'm going to start with one today. We're going to talk about Deborah. Uh, she was the only female judge that Israel had, and she was amazing and wonderful. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about her and and how it relates to us today. So my text verse is out of Judges 4. I would ask you to stand with me, if you would, please, as we honor God's word together. Uh, it's a little lengthy passage, but stay with me because it's setting up the rest of my, uh, my message. It says, after Ehud's death, which Ehud was one, another judge before Deborah, it says, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagoyim. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. So he was treating them pretty rough. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at the time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali, Barak was the general of her army for the army of Israel. She said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went to Barak at to Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with him. So we see what's happening here is they're about to be freed from the oppression of King Jabin. Uh, the title of my message today is called Godly Decisions. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we love you so much today, God. Thank you for your presence in this house and in our lives. And Lord, we ask that you would do in these next few minutes what only you can do, God. Let your word transform us for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. 
So you ever been to a place in your life where you had to make a tough decision and you were asking God and maybe even begging God to give you clear direction on what you were supposed to do because you wanted to make a godly decision, right? And you, maybe even you found yourself wishing that God had like a search engine that you could look up on your phone. Wouldn't that be cool if there was like a Holy Spirit Google? You just grab your phone, you're like, God, should I uh, take this job? And whatever it says, you can know that it's from God. Or God, should I date this person? And you can, you can see exactly what God wants every time. It'd be really nice in some ways, wouldn't it? Uh, there's times we really need clear direction from God in our life. Uh, but we know enough to know that he doesn't always make things crystal clear for us. I remember one time when he did for me, and it was over 25 years ago, and it's still very, very prevalent in my heart today because it was so amazing and so powerful. Um, many of you know that I worked at a missions organization called Youth with a Mission back in my 20s, and I was still single, and I was uh, on staff at a, the base in Denver, and we had about 70 staff, I think, at the time. And during one of our staff meetings, a couple that was on our staff stood up and said, hey, they feel called to start a team, another YWAM ministry in West Africa, in the Sahara Desert, in an Islamic Republic. It was going to be a very difficult time, and they were asking anybody that wanted to go with them to serve on this team. And everything about it sounded absolutely horrible. Yet when they were talking about it, I, my heart just leaped inside of me. I just was like, God, I want to go. I want to do this. And they were asking for at least a year commitment to anybody that would commit to going. But I knew enough to know that this was going to be difficult and challenging, so I knew I really needed to hear from God on this one. God, I don't know how you want to speak to me. If you want to use an angel or a blowhorn, whatever it is, I need to hear from you. And I felt like God, uh, the next morning I was in my bed praying and just asking God, God, what should I do? Speak to me, you know? And I, I really felt God impressed on my heart that he wanted me to fast, that he was going to show me through a time of fasting what, he, what I was to do, what his will or what his purpose was for me in this situation. And I also felt like he was saying, I want you to fast for a long time. And I was like, okay, God, that's fine. But I mean, what is a long time? Because to me, a long time not eating is about three hours. <laughs> so what is it for you? And uh, I felt like the Lord, I, I just had this number come into my head and it sounds crazy, but it was just the number 21. And I, th I was thinking 21 days and I thought, oh my gosh, I like that. I'm gonna get really hungry. And, uh, but I just couldn't get it out of my head. And I said, okay, God, I, I need you to confirm it. And I, again, I know this sounds kooky, but I'm telling you, this was the Lord speaking to me. I felt like, I felt a voice in my head say, count the ceiling tiles in your bedroom. Because I was laying on my bed looking up. So I count the ceiling tiles, and wouldn't you know it, there was 21 ceiling tiles. And, uh, but even in that, I remember thinking, uh, God, I still need more. Because that's a long time to go without food. And uh, I could have subconsciously already known there was 21, and I just didn't remember it. or You know how it is. So I, was, I didn't want to be able to rationalize it away, because I knew if I was going to fast for that long, I would need to know that God was in this. And uh, so I get up, and I figured, you know, I'm just going to wait and see if the Lord confirms it. And I went to work that day at the YWAM base, and the receptionist pages me and says, hey, you got a phone call. And this was before cell phones. Um, and so, you know, if you got calls, it was actually a big office phone. You had to hit the number and say hello. And I answered the phone, and it's this friend of mine that I hadn't talked to in at least a year and a half, maybe two years. She'd been in YWAM with me for a minute, but we completely lost touch. Again, it was before cell phones, so you didn't just text and hang out. You know, if you didn't call them, you just lost touch with people. So it was very common, very easy to do. Hadn't heard or talked to this person in over a year and a half. And I get on the phone and I'm like, oh, it's so good to hear from you. You know, what's going on? We're chatting. We're doing small talk for about 10 seconds. She goes, listen, I'm actually calling because I know this is going to sound really weird, but I was praying for you this morning. Or I was praying this morning, she said, and the Lord put you on my heart, which was weird because we hadn't talked in a long time. And she said, so I just started praying for you. And she said, I, I, I hope this resonates with you. But she said, I felt strongly that the Lord told me to tell you that he wants you to fast. And I was like, darn it. 
<laughs> he does speak. Uh, you sure he didn't say he doesn't want me to fast? Uh, but no, and it was absolutely amazing because I hadn't told anybody about this. Uh, nobody even knew I really wanted to go on, on this trip. Uh, and so it was obvious that the Lord spoke to her to speak to me. And uh, of course, I, I obeyed and I did the 21-day fast. And it was, incre- it was actually life-changing for me. And uh, if you know my story, you know I did go to Africa for a year. And that, that year was very, very difficult, but it was life-changing as well. And so much of my life today is even springboarded off of my time that I was there. So it was incredibly powerful, and it was so good, and I was so thankful to be able to hear from God like that. And it would be nice to hear from him like that all the time, wouldn't it? To have that search engine. But, you know, I know myself enough to know that I really only want to know what he wants for me when I want what he wants for me. Because there's a lot of times I want what I want, and I just want him to bless it. And if I had a search engine that he could answer every time, I would have no excuses for the times that I maybe did the wrong thing because I didn't really want to do what he wanted. And so we don't necessarily always want to know what he wants, but there's times that we really want to know because especially if it affects us, you know, like what am I going to do in this situation? I really want to know because I don't want to make the wrong decision. And if you have any level of relationship with Jesus, you know that he knows more than you and you probably want his will for your life and his purpose for your life more than you want your own in most occasions. We want to be able to make godly decisions. But what does a godly decision look like? You know, sometimes you're unsure of what the godly part of that decision would be in certain situations. There's times that it's obvious. You know, there's certain things that it's in here and it's crystal clear. You know, God, can I cheat on my taxes? Uh, Rent to Caesar, what is Caesar's? Okay, I guess not. You know, Lord, is it, can I sleep with my girlfriend? Well, the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, I guess not. I mean, there's certain things, you know, God, do I have to forgive that person that really, really hurt me? Well, if you don't forgive others from your heart, God can't forgive you either. You know, so there's, there's certain things we'll find in here that is crystal clear about decisions that we are to make in our life. But there's a lot of things like, God, should I take that job? God, should I go into that relationship? God, should I go to that college? God, should I do this? Should I do that? There's certain things that you can't look it up and see, thus saith the Lord, go to the University of Georgia. You know, it just doesn't say that in places. So there's going to be a lot of times that we're not going to know exactly what God wants. And we'd like for him to give us a formula, but you know what? I'm not here today to tell you that there is one because there isn't. There isn't a formula to know every single time exactly what God wants in a situation. In fact, I would argue that that's not even his plan. He doesn't even want that for you, to give you crystal clear direction in every little decision you make. Because if he does that, it doesn't require trust. And he wants us to trust him. He wants us to be looking to his purpose and not our own. And not just try to get him to answer our questions so that things go well for me. Because even that can be narcissistic. God, I want to know exactly what you want because I don't want to mess up because I want to make sure I'm in your blessing and in your purpose so that you'll bless me. And it's really about us and it's not even about him. And so he doesn't even necessarily want us to know every little thing because figuring it out and going through the process and even sometimes making the wrong decision, if your heart is in the right place, can be good for us. Because he's about the process. He's about having our heart, not just having us figure out exactly what he wants, but really just wanting to honor him with our life. So let me take you back to our text verse uh, with Deborah. As I said, she was a judge of Israel. She was the fourth judge, and uh, she was uh, very, very godly. She loved God, and she actually did exactly what he told her to do. And she was judging Israel at the time because Israel was being oppressed again for the umpteenth time by Jabin this time, who was a Canaanite king. They were being judged by God because they had done evil. And so he gave them over to this Canaanite king, and this guy was a powerhouse. Okay, he was a beast. He was a superpower in their day. So he had 900 iron chariots. Okay, that was, 
that was incredibly technologically advanced weaponry for that day. That Israel would have had no, no, nothing to fight against that. They would have no answer for 900 chariots. And yet Deborah comes into this and says, listen, brings in her general, brings in uh, Barak, and she says, listen, you're going to go and you're going to get 10,000 of our people and we're going to go and we're going to defeat this guy. We're going to go pick a fight with this bully. I mean, it's on, the, on the surface, it sounds insane. It's like the military prowess difference between the two was like Norway saying, we're going to go pick a fight with China. I mean, it was, it was just incredibly, it wasn't even a, a close to a fair fight. Yet Deborah was bold in her faith and said, this is exactly what's going to happen and God is going to do it for us. and He's going to give us the victory. And then you look at Barak and his response was not quite as bold. In verse eight of my text, he told her, um, I'm going to go, but only if you go with me. <laughs> he didn't have the confidence that Deborah had. Now, was that a godly decision for him or was he just terrified? Was he seeking the Lord or was he more worried about himself? He was probably worried about himself because he didn't know that this is actually what God wanted them to do. And so he was much more hesitant. And of course, Deborah says, fine, I'll go with you, but a woman's going to get the glory for this. In fact, two women got the glory for this because another woman, J.L., is the one that killed Sisera, the general of the other army. If you read the story, it's, it's pretty wild. He, he goes into her tent to take a nap and she takes a tent peg and uh, she uh, ended it. I'm going to spare you the gory details, but... Uh, uh, she, uh, he actually dies at the hands of a woman. And so Deborah, a woman, was the leader of the country at the time. And then Jael, this other woman, was the one that killed the general of the other army. So women got the glory for this, which is exactly what Deborah said would happen because Barak did not want to go without her. And the rest of the story is really incredible. They win the battle because God brings a bunch of rain and the river floods and the, these chariots are washed away. They're rendered useless. And God fights for them and they win the battle because of Deborah's boldness and her willingness to step out and trust God and to see God's purposes fulfilled. Deborah was sure and Barak was timid. She was spiritually confident. He was very spiritually unsure. And I know we want to be like Deborah in our life, right? We want to be spiritually bold. We want to be bold in our faith where we can step out and do what we feel like God is telling us to do and be bold. But the truth of the matter is we're probably more often like Barak than we like to admit, where we are much more hesitant we're much more wanting to weigh the options. We're looking at it much more practically and, and trying to figure out what we need to do. And what's so beautiful about Deborah is she, she's, uh, she is showing us an attribute of faith that is one of the most simplest age-old concepts of faith in all the Bible that started at the beginning of time. And that is about putting aside your purpose and seeking his purpose. If you want to be able to, to live the life where we're making godly decisions in our life, it starts with laying down your purpose and saying, God, I want your purpose. Deborah was able to say, we're gonna do this because she knew that God's purpose was for them to be delivered. It wasn't her agenda. It wasn't her platform that she was gonna stand on. She wasn't looking to build a monument to herself for winning all this. In fact, she tried to give the glory to Barak. And he said, I'm not doing it. She said, okay, but then you're not gonna get it. She wasn't looking for her own glory, her own fame. She wanted God's purpose. And that's what helped her to make this godly decision to go into this battle and let the Lord win it for them. It's about where you put your trust. Purpose and trust, are, they go hand in hand. It's, if you want God's purpose, you're gonna trust God. If you want your purpose, you're gonna trust you. Barak, his purpose was more for his own self-preservation, so he put his trust in his army, which is why he said, I don't wanna go, because my army can't beat that army. Deborah's trust was in her God, so she was able to say, let's do it. 
But it's obvious that we like to trust what we can see. We like to trust what we understand. We like to trust what's palpable in our life. You know, I trust my iPhone to function the way it's supposed to because if I take care of it and I push the right buttons, it's going to do what it's supposed to do almost all the time. You know, I trust my car to get me where I need to go and to stop when I want to stop because if I make sure I keep up with the maintenance and drive it correctly, which I do most of the time, uh, that it will do what it's supposed to do. I can trust in that. I can trust my wife because for almost 23 years, she has been in a relationship with me and shown that, she, that I can trust her and that she's going to be there and I can have a conversation with her, a relationship with her. I can touch her and feel her and know that she's real. And so I can have trust in her because of the longevity in that. We like to trust what we can see and what we can feel. But there's so much about God that is a mystery, which makes it hard for us to trust him sometimes, doesn't it? He doesn't, he doesn't apologize for the fact that he is mysterious and that we are finite. We don't understand all the aspects of God or all the attributes of God. We have a limited understanding of who he is. And so it's not necessarily always natural for us to trust in God. To make godly decisions requires that we trust in him and not in ourselves or not in anything else. But listen, church, I have a life-changing truth today that can set you free. You can choose who you put your trust in. You are not a victim or a helpless follower of your feelings when it comes to trust. You can actually choose, especially in faith and spiritually speaking, you can choose who you're going to trust. In fact, you have to choose. Because if you just let your feelings lead you, they'll lead you astray. Eventually. Not every day, but some days they will. So it's important that we choose who we trust. King David is a great example of this. He had been anointed king, but he wasn't king yet. And he was running from Saul because Saul was trying to kill him. And he gets seized by the Philistines. And he, starts, he writes psalms. You know, he wrote a lot of the psalms while he was on the run. Psalm 56 is a beautiful one that shows us exactly how God works and, and what we can do in our relationship with him. 56 verses 1 to 4, he says, Oh God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I'm constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? So here's the thing. We just assumed David was just this godly man and God anointed him or Samuel anointed him and he was going to be king. So he just, you know, he just had this great relationship with God. and He just always trusted God. What we're seeing here is that he didn't necessarily always trust God. You know how we know that he wasn't just his nature to trust God out of this passage? Because he says, I'm afraid. See, when you trust, trust kills fear. If you genuinely trust God, you don't fear. And so David is saying, I'm afraid. So the next thing he says is, I'm putting my trust in you. I am choosing God to trust you. I don't feel it right now because I feel like everybody's hounding me and trying to kill me. They're boldly attacking me, he says. But I'm not going to put my trust in myself. I'm not going to listen to my fear. I'm actually going to choose to trust in you. This is a guy who experienced God in powerful ways, more powerful than you and I probably ever have. Yet he's still having to choose to trust him. So how much more do we have to choose to trust him? And I love how the progression of this passage goes because he says, I'm choosing to put my trust in you. So now he goes, I'm praising you for what you have promised. I trust in God. Why should I be afraid? All of a sudden his fear is already dissipating because he says, I'm choosing to trust God. When we choose to trust him, the fear goes away. Fear is defeated by trust. It even works in the practical realm. 
I remember when I was just a little guy, not like short little, but actually little, still short, but I was little too. Uh, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, something like that. And me and my brothers and my mom would be home. My dad some nights would have to go and, and uh, talk to customers. He was a contractor. And so he'd be gone some nights. And I remember, especially at times where if it got dark earlier in the day and he was out and gone and it was dark out, if the doorbell rang, you could find me in a closet somewhere in a back room because I wasn't going to the door. I mean, I grew up in a small town. Nothing bad ever happened, but you just never know. And when I was a kid, I was like, what if I go to the door and some guy wants to kill me or kidnap me? There ain't no way. I'm not going to the door. What in the world? That's ridiculous. So I'd just go hide. But if you look, if it was the exact same scenario, dark outside, same thing, everything's the same. The only thing different is that my dad was in the house. I was the first one to go to the door if the bell rang. Ah, let's see who it is. Probably somebody coming to bring me a treat. You know, the whole mood is different because dad's there. If somebody wants to do me harm, my dad's going to take care of him. He's going to show him what's up. And so I didn't have to worry because I trusted my dad's strength, because I was just a little kid, because I trusted him, the fear was gone. When we trust, the fear goes away. Fear cannot stay where there is trust. So we have to choose to put our trust in him. It's not based on feelings. When you are fearful, you know, many of us deal with fear a lot. I know many, many people, it's probably one of the number one crippling things in the Christian's life is fear. And when you fear, the answer is not to always just try to, whatever you're fearing, to get rid of that in your life or to ignore it or to get it solved somehow. The way to defeat fear in your life is to trust, is to choose to trust in God because when you trust in God, the fear has to go. Whatever that situation is, I'm fearful for my health, I'm fearful for my kids, I'm fearful for my money. Whatever it is, you say, no, no, I'm, not, I'm trusting God with my money, I'm not trusting myself. The fear has to go away, it has no choice. So if the fear is there, it means you're not trusting him. It's really simple. Now, we all deal with it. It would be nice if we could just say a quick prayer and say, God, I trust you for the rest of my life, and it's over. But we have to stay consistent and work at it and make sure it's a prevalent part of our life. You know, if you get on an airplane, if you're, if you're afraid to fly, but you're going overseas, and obviously you've got to get on a plane, you might be a little bit fearful, but you're choosing to trust the pilot and the maintenance crew that takes care of the plane. Even though you're fearful, you're choosing to trust them because you got to go. If you're married here, there was a point where you got to the point where you decided to put your trust in that other person enough to marry them, even though it's a little scary to get married. You had to choose to trust them. And the feelings probably came with it at first, but there's times in your marriage where you got to continue to make that choice to trust too sometimes, especially if that trust is broken and you have to choose to trust if the relationship's going to continue forward. We choose to trust all the time. Why wouldn't we have to choose to trust God? All the more so we have to choose to trust him. So for the rest of my time today, I want to just give you three principles of choosing to trust God. What choosing to trust him does in our life, okay? And the first one is that we choose to trust God. It breeds obedience in our life. It breeds obedience. Trusting God starts right here with obedience. It actually continues with obedience, and it finishes with obedience. Trusting God and obedience go hand in hand. They have to go hand in hand. In fact, I would go as far as to say one of these without the other in faith is toxic. To just trust and not obey is toxic and to just obey and not trust is also toxic. Trusting in God without obedience is a self-centered narcissistic faith. If you're just trusting him, I'm trusting him for his blessings, I'm trusting him for everything good that I need in my life, 
but you're not willing to walk in obedience, it's just narcissism. We are all prone to be spiritual narcissists, every one of us. It's so easy to do. This is actually where the, the prosperity gospel gets its traction. It's about trusting him, but not really having to obey or do anything. You just kind of say the right things, and he'll just take care of you. And your faith becomes about you. You're the centerpiece of your faith. When the reality is, the biblical version of our faith is that we're not the centerpiece of our faith. Jesus is the centerpiece of our faith. We're on the outside looking in. And we're just getting, into, we're getting involved in what he's doing. We get to be part of his great story. That's what faith looks like. But if you're just trusting him to bless you and give you what you need, you're just making it about yourself and it's narcissistic and it's toxic and it won't last in your life because eventually he won't give you what you think you need and you'll be mad. So trust without obedience is not good, but also obedience without trust is just religion. It's just religion. If you're obeying and you're living according to this every way you know how, and you're dogmatic about it, and you obey everything you know in here, and your life is about obeying God, but you don't really trust him, then really your obedience is just making, it's, it's you trusting yourself. You're trusting that my obedience will help me to achieve my spiritual goals in life. If I act just right, if I do all the right things, if I follow the Ten Commandments, if I say all the right things, if I, if I don't get out of line, then God's going to do for me what I need. So you're just trying to meet your own goals by being perfectly obedient. It's works. It's religion. It's the exact same spirit that killed Jesus. It's the pharisaical spirit that is from the pit of hell. And so if we're just obeying and we're not trusting, it's toxic. They have to work together. Trust and obedience always work together. Deborah trusted God, and because of that, she obeyed him. The disobedience and distrust of the Israelites is what got them in the problem in the first place. In fact, the, in verse 1 and 2 of my text, I'll read it again. It says, After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin. Some versions say that he sold them to King Jabin. How crazy is that? His own people, God's own people, his chosen people, he sold them off to a, an incredibly evil king because of their sin, because of their disobedience and their distrust in God. They didn't trust him or obey him. And they got the ramifications of that. And you might think, ah, that's Old Testament, preacher. It's not how God works today. It's grace. Well, I see it all through the New Testament, actually. I can give you one quick situation where Jesus said in Matthew 18, the story of the unmerciful servant. He says, if you don't forgive from your heart after you know what God has forgiven you of and the debt that he has forgiven you of, if you don't forgive your fellow servant, he will hand you over, he will sell you to the tormentors. You'll be in the exact same situation as the children of Israel were with King Jabin. Because that's how it works. Because we're called to trust him and obey him. I think there's a song about that, right? I won't sing it. I'll spare you. But that's his desire for us. And that is how we learn. That's how we choose to trust him. It's through obedience. I know sometimes obedience is hard. We don't want to obey. And we all, we're all human, so we're all going to disobey at times. But as I say all the time, when we know we disobey, it's about quickly repenting of it. It's quickly turning away from it and say, God, I, I walk away from that. I leave that behind. Walking in obedience and trusting him. Not just obeying because it's here, because again, God wants our heart, not just our hands. He wants everything. And we can't do that without trusting him in our life. All right, so we choose to trust him that breeds obedience. Choosing to trust God also breeds boldness. In our life. And we see this from the life of Deborah. We see Deborah was bold because she chose to trust in God. 
The thing she said was incredibly bold. I'm going to read a couple of those verses again, verses 6 and 7. She said to her general, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor, and I will call out Sisera. That's bold. I'm going to pick a fight with this big old bully, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors. Don't leave your chariots at home. Bring them. We want to see them. There I will give you victory over him. Man, you talk about bold. That is a boldness. That's reckless boldness. But it's because God called her to do it. She did it because she was obeying her God. You ever wish you could be more bold like that? Man, I know I do. I feel like, I feel like as, we, as we get older in our faith sometimes, we can lose that boldness. We lose that youthful zealousness, that zeal that we have in our life, right? We can get so caught up in our, what we're doing, our own lives, and we can be selfish, and, and we have fear that comes in. We can get apathetic, and, and we have, there's ignorance in life sometimes that keeps us from really being bold for God. There's lots of things that keep us from it. But you know one of the biggest things that keeps us from being bold? And this is going to shock some of you. But one of the biggest things that keeps us from being bold in our life is wisdom. Now, I'm not here to say wisdom is a bad thing. Wisdom is actually a great thing. Proverbs tells us that if it costs you all you have, get wisdom. But wisdom is great, and just like any great thing that God gives us, it can become a negative in our life if it replaces trusting God in your life. If you lean on your wisdom that you feel like you've gotten in your experience with God, and it causes you to not trust him, then it's a bad thing. If you're hiding behind your wisdom and saying, well, wisdom would say this. Barak was hiding behind wisdom. I mean, it's not written out here in the word, but you can see from their exchange that Barak was like, no, 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 no. They got 900 iron chariots, we got zero. I don't like that math. Wisdom says, let's just put up them. We'll be nice to them and hope they will stop oppressing us. That's what wisdom would say. And sometimes our wisdom can keep us from really being bold. In fact, wisdom will keep us from actually trusting in our God. Wisdom would have said, you can't win this battle. Wisdom says to you sometimes, you can't win this battle. But you know what? The reality is it's not actually wisdom speaking, it's fear. See, fear is actually very clever in your life. It's very, very clever. Fear is sometimes the trembling, you know, wringing your hands, your knees are shaking, and terror kind of fear. That fear is not clever at all, it's obvious. But there's a fear that all of us deal with that looks a lot like wisdom. That will stand behind wisdom and whisper in your ear. You shouldn't do that, that's not prudent. Be responsible. I mean, you could have done that when you were in your 20s, but don't do that now. You got a family. You got bills to pay. Wisdom would say, like, that doesn't even make sense. Wisdom is all about what makes sense and what you can understand. And there's a place for that in life. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we, you know, throw caution to the wind and just live, woohoo, reckless. But there's times in our, we lose a lot of boldness in our life because we hide behind our wisdom. But it's really just fear speaking through the wisdom that we have causing us, well, I have so much life experience. The last time I saw something like that, it didn't work out very well. You shouldn't really go on that missions trip. It's dangerous down there. What if something happens to you? What would your kids, how would your kids survive? You shouldn't be really generous with that person in need over there because you got bills to pay. Like you got to pay your mortgage. What would happen if you were on the street? That's wisdom, so-called wisdom, which keeps us from being bold and stepping out in faith in ways that God would want us to. There's times that you got to throw wisdom and fear to the wind and say, you know what? I, it doesn't make any sense at all, but I'm going to go fight these 900 iron chariots and I'm going to win because God's going to go with me. 
That's what matters. It's about making godly decisions. And godly decisions is about not discounting boldness in our life for the sake of wisdom. There's a place for both of them in our life. It can definitely sometimes be difficult to see the difference between wisdom and fear. But you know, I think we, I think we miss out on a lot of the miraculous that God wants to do in our life, church. We miss out on a lot of the supernatural stuff, the, the, the stuff that people see that's just incredible because we're not willing to be bold, because we're just, we're fixated on our wisdom. We're fixated on what makes sense. We're fixated on, well, you know, God would, I don't think God would want you to do that. That's too risky, you know? Say that to the early disciples who were like, I'm willing to give my life. You don't see a lot of boldness anymore in, in the, especially in the, the Western church because we just feel like we got, we got it kind of worked out to a system and God just has to work within that system when the reality is there's times God's saying, I know it doesn't make sense, but I want you to fast for 21 days and you're going to survive it. And you're going to do that so I can send you to a place that really stinks <laughs> and you're going to love it and it's going to change your life and it's going to be amazing. None of that made any sense. I had to go 5,000 miles away to figure out that I needed to marry Joy. <laughs> When I was around her, I was waffling. I get away from her, like, oh man, that was stupid. Calling her up and asking her to take me back. It actually happened when I was in Africa. So she's thankful I went to Africa. <laughs> but it, does, it can't always make sense in our boldness for God, okay? All right, third and finally, and I'll finish up with this one. Choosing to trust God breeds perseverance in our life. It breeds perseverance. Now, perseverance is one of the most difficult disciplines in our faith, especially in 2023, because there are so many times you can get around perseverance. I was talking about sowing and reaping a couple weeks ago and how you know, we can get around sowing and still reap in, this, in, our, in our Western culture because we have so many advances. You, know, you, can, you can eat terribly and still live a long time because they can put stints in your heart and do all kinds of stuff to keep you alive. So we can kind of get around that. It's the same thing with perseverance. There's so many aspects of life today that we don't necessarily have to persevere because there's a shortcut and there's ways around it. And when we get so used to that, when the time comes that you actually have to persevere because there's not a shortcut, you just give up. I'll just go another way. I'll go another option. I guess that just wasn't God. If I have to persevere and I can't figure out a shortcut, it can't be God because God would never want me to have to work real hard at it and to stick it through. Now, we wouldn't say that out loud, but that's how we live our life sometimes, isn't it? Persevering is difficult, but when we choose to trust in our God, it breeds perseverance in our life. And it's very evident in the book of Judges that the Israelites did not know how to persevere. I mean, they hadn't seen a manifest miracle move of God in a generation, and that's all it took for that whole generation to abandon God and serve the gods of romance and the gods of wealth because they hadn't really seen God move in the way they wanted. Even though Joshua, before he died, he set up an altar. He built an altar of remembrance. And it was specifically designed so that they would remember what God did. So that they would not forget what God did. He had them build this altar. And you know, you don't need to remember as much when things are good. The time you really need to remember is when things are tough. When things are tough, you look back at that altar and go, oh, that's right, he's good. Yeah, he's faithful, I remember that. We need to build altars of remembrance in our life. Well, we remember how God moved in our life and how we saw him come through, how we saw his faithfulness, how we saw his goodness, how we saw his miracle working power in our life. Set up those memorials in our life so that when we're going through a tough time, we look at that altar of remembrance and we can persevere. 
Because I remember, oh yeah, he is pretty good. And I could persevere because I could trust in him because I can remember what he did. And sometimes it's even something remembering he did for somebody else. Yeah, I remember God was faithful to this person in that situation. I'm going to make it through. God's going to help me to get through it. In Judges 2, verses 10 and 11, it says, After that generation died, another generation grew up that did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. So we see here they did not remember. It's just another way of saying they didn't persevere. They didn't want to persevere in their relationship with God, and so they just went the easy route, and they served these gods that were already in Canaan, the, God, the, the gods of uh, wealth and romance, because that just that made sense to them, because they, didn't, they weren't willing to persevere, because God hadn't done anything in 20 years of any miraculous power. So phew, if he hadn't moved in 20 years, what's he going to do? So let's serve some other God that's going to help me and benefit me. But choosing to trust God will help us to persevere because we won't be doing it in our, our own strength. See, if we're weary, or if we, if, we go, if we do it in our own strength, if you try to persevere in your own strength, it produces weariness in your life. It breeds weariness. And I know a lot of people are weary. I know a lot of people are incredibly weary, and I feel it too. But you know what? This is something I know for certain. I don't have to pray about this. I don't have to ask God for the answer on this, because I know the answer, because I see it in the Word. That if I am weary, and I don't talk about just being tired from like a long day of work, or you're just, you know, you're exhausted because things are especially hard right now, but literally being weary, like just feeling it in your bones. Like even after a good night's sleep, you just feel like, oh, I just don't know how I'm going to get through the day. If you're weary, I can tell you unequivocally, you're doing it in your own strength. You're doing it in your own strength. There's no question about it. Weariness only comes when we do it in our own strength. Many of you know the passage in Isaiah 40. It's so beautiful. We quote it all the time. It's, a, it's bumper sticker material because it's so great, but it speaks so much good truth in verse 31. It says, those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So are you weary? Well, it seems to me like we're doing it in our own strength. We're not doing it in his strength. This verse tells us everything we need to know to battle weariness to battle, to be able to persevere in our life. It tells us everything we need to know. It's about trusting in him. It's about whatever that thing is that's making us weary and giving it to him. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 11, he said that my yoke is light. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is light and you will find rest for your souls. Now, let me tell you, that, that gets me all up in my feels when he talks about rest for my soul because I need rest for my body I even need rest for my mind sometimes, but rest for your soul, that's deep. That's deep in there where you can have rest no matter what's going on. You can be physically exhausted and still have rest for your soul. You can be mentally exhausted and still have rest for your soul. And if you have rest in your soul, everything else is going to be okay. And he says, if you want rest for your soul, you have to take my yoke. What is his yoke? It's his purpose. It's not your purpose, it's his. It's walking the life of faith, trusting him, living for him. And so every time we get weary, what we need to be reminded of, what we need to know in our heart is that if I'm weary, I'm doing it in my own strength. It's not, a, it's not a rebuke coming from here. It's a reminder for us because there's not a one of us that doesn't do stuff in our own strength. None of us. Again, it'd be nice if we said one quick prayer, Lord, I'll never do anything in my own strength again. Walk away and it's all fixed. It's not how it works. 
Because my own strength is always ready to come right back. It's always ready. Every five minutes, every five seconds, some days. I'm an I'm, I'm a independent person. I like to do things in my own strength. All day, every day. That doesn't jive when it's a relationship with Jesus. And doing it in your own strength, you may get by for a while, but you will eventually get weary. And the only way to defeat weariness in your life, the only way to be able to persevere through those difficult situations, it's not just getting a, res- a resolution to the problem. It's not just figuring out how to ignore the problem. It's learning how to rest in the problem. And that comes from taking his yoke, which is trusting him, his purpose, his will. Just like he said to pray. Pray that my kingdom would come and my will would be done in your life. That's what we need to pray every day. Would you stand with me, please? I want to encourage you today. I want to pray for you. But I want to encourage you to take his yoke. It's a weird analogy because we don't really even know yokes that well because unless you were raised on a farm or you had horses or something, don't even fully understand all of that, you know, in our culture we are in today. You know, the yoke is the, the thing they put on over the, the ox or the, whatever the animal was that was pulling the plow. And Jesus is saying, here, take my yoke. But really he's just saying, here, take my purpose. Live your life for my purpose, not yours. Live your life to see my kingdom come, not yours. Live your life to see my will be done, not yours. That's what taking his yoke on. He says, my yoke is light. My burden is light on you. Because when you live for his purpose, we choose to trust him. It breeds obedience. It breeds perseverance in our life. It breeds a lot of great things in our life that help us to get through the challenging times. In your health situation that you're dealing with, take his yoke. In your family situation, your relationship situation, take his yoke. In your career situation, your school, where you're going to college, take his yoke. Just take his. Just remind yourself. Put it in your phone if you have to. Set an alarm to go off every day at at lunch that just says, take his yoke. Whatever you got to do to remind yourself that it's not my purpose, it's his. I don't want to have a narcissistic faith. And I know you don't either. But man, that is our default. Every minute of every day is to want it to be about us. And when we make it about him, man, we find purpose that you'll never find when it's about you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you so much for your word. It is so good and it is so true. Lord, I pray that it would resonate with us today, Lord, that the seed planted today, God, would produce fruit in our lives. Lord, that we would not forget it by the time we get out to our cars, but it would resonate in our hearts that we would remember to take your yoke. God, we wanna make godly decisions in our life, but we know godly decisions are not, it's not about always making the perfect decision. It's about considering you first. It's about laying down our will. It's about laying down our rights. It's about laying down our life, and it's about taking up your cross to follow you. Lord, let that be our heart today, that your purposes would be accomplished in our life. Not my will, but yours be done. May I decrease so that you can increase in my life. Let that be our prayer today, God. I thank you for everybody here, Lord, and I pray you would seal your word in our hearts today by your spirit. I know the enemy would wanna come in and snatch it out before it has a chance to produce, but God, we pray that it would be sealed in the name of Jesus today for your glory and for our good. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Praise God.